Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me from beautiful South Bend, Indiana, is my good friend and colleague, and the man who's, unlike Steve Austin, is the $1 million man, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, my friend? If I was the $1 million man, my accountant would be much happier with me. I have to say that. <laughs> as, would, as would all of my creditors, that's for darn sure, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how many of the younger listeners would get that reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Okay, for those of you playing along at home who are much younger than both of us, Steve Austin was the $6 million man. But it wasn't because he was rich. It was because he was made of parts. He was rebuilt. That's where the phrase, we can rebuild him, we have the technology, or we have the technology, we can rebuild him. That's where that comes from, right? Yeah, that's right. He was like an astronaut. Well, I guess he was kind of the first cyborg. Would that be? I think that's right. Would that be right, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Huh. There you go. There's your sci-fi moment here on Living Stones. <laughs> Good times. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, Deacon, here we are, May already, the month of Our Lady. Uh, and who doesn't love the Blessed Mother, right? The, Of course, I know here on campus at Notre Dame, uh, one of the offices, the office for the uh, McGrath Institute for Church Life always does a May crowning. Uh, typically at this point, of course, most of the students are already gone. But uh, but just at the beginning of the year, just before they leave, we have a May crowning. And of course, this is a, a beautiful month, so-called because, you know, if you think about it, this is in the Northern Hemisphere when the flowers are coming out. And so how, what better way to crown a statue of Our Lady than with beautiful flowers? So how do you, uh, is the, is Kind of the month of May and devotion to Our Lady. I know devotion to Our Lady is meaningful to you, but uh, are there ways that you and your family have have observed the month of May? Uh, not any particularly special way in the in the past, but I remember when you said May crowning. I remember in grade school we used to do a May crowning every year. They used to pick um, a different girl in the class every year, and uh, she would uh, be the. We'd sing this little song and. She'd go up there and crown the, the statue in the church of Blessed Mother with a crown of flowers. And mm-hmm. what's that song we used to sing? Like, oh, Mary, we crown thee with flowers today. Queen of the angels, queen of the May. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. 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 It's not It's not one I've heard, but uh, uh, hum, yes, a, hum a few bars, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's awesome. But, yeah, but I mean, this, this particular month of May, I, I really try to make an effort. Well, I try to pray the rosary every day, mm-hmm. but uh, make a special effort to add some additional devotions to the Blessed Mother during this month. If there are any um, feasts uh, or any obligatory memorials of the Blessed Mother during the month of May, I I uh, upgrade those to a feast, sure. you know, uh, when I'm praying the Liturgy of the Hours. You know, so just, just my way of, of, of you know, uh, adding a few special devotions to the Blessed Mother. Yeah. 
Of course, this uh, particular year, the way that Pentecost falls and things like that, so Pentecost is going to fall at the at the end of this month, and the day after Pentecost, the Monday after Pentecost, is Mary, Mother of the Church, and it just so happens that that, that is going to fall within the month of May this year. Of course, the visitation uh, falls uh, in this month as well, so mm-hmm. yeah, May is a beautiful month, and I often think of the Blessed Mother, um, a prayer that I've added to my kind of regular post-mass prayers is a memorare, uh, you know, the, yeah. the great prayer of St. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. Um, and I pray it particularly for the conversion of, of someone who's very close to me, my, my beloved bride, Julie, of course. Um, you know, I, I pray for the conversion of those who, who don't yet know Christ. And I ask the Blessed Mother to lead, lead them to her son. And so that's something that I, particularly here in May, I try to uh, redouble my efforts because uh, it's part of my repertoire, but sometimes I, I forget. And so in May, I, I've been really kind of focusing on remembering. This is the prayer that I offer each day for the conversion of those who are, who are dear to me. Um, again, asking the Blessed Mother, lead us all to your son, because that's her job, right? Every honor that we give to the Blessed Mother is because of her relationship to her son, she was preserved from the stain of original sin because of the merits of her son. Everything is points back to Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and God, and Mary's Lord and God, too. So that's something that's right. that we that's always right. keep in mind. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I do a memorare, too, during um, my uh, matins and, and, and lauds and, uh, and vespers. After those prayers, I sure. always add a memorare in there. I even added one prayer during uh, after lauds when I pray that in the morning. Um, it's kind of a Eucharistic prayer. I think I got this from when I spoke at the Eucharistic Congress, the Archdiocese of Boston. It's just a, a quick prayer. Maybe people would appreciate it. It says, uh, Virgin Immaculate, perfect adorer of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, we ask you to attain for us the graces we need to become true worshipers of our Eucharistic God. Grant us, we beg you, to know him better, to love him more, and to center our lives around the Eucharist. That is, to make our whole life a constant prayer of adoration, thanksgiving, and preparation and petition to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. That's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. So I've added that as part of my prayers in the morning. Drawing us back to the Eucharist, drawing us back to what the Eucharist means in terms of salvation of the world. Uh, that is That is fantastic. What a great prayer also for this time when we're, you know, in our Eucharistic revival, uh, which I know is a, a huge an effort by the bishops to, uh, to um, lead us back to the Eucharist, to the full meaning of the Eucharist, which is not just, uh, not just something that we do at Mass, but it's, uh, you know, of course, the, the Mass is the source and summit of our Christian life. The Eucharist is the heart of what, it's what we are fed with, it's it's Christ himself. And so worship that is given to the Eucharist is worship of Christ himself. Uh, it's not uh, It's not a, just a symbol. It actually is Christ. And so that's something that we always need to be focusing on and always need to keep in our mind is that Christ is there. He's there in the tabernacle and he wants, he longs to be with us. And so at Mass we can, we, we worship and of course we can, anytime we stop by the church, we can kneel down in adoration of our Lord. What a beautiful opportunity. Yes. Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, for the past couple of weeks, we've presented our listeners with the opportunity to learn more about the fathers of the church. Yes. You know, uh, like I said, we um, we talk about the different eras of the church, right? We talk about the fathers as the the apostolic fathers, 
the church fathers and the desert fathers. And so we're we're going through each one of each one of these uh, uh, formators, if you will, of the, uh, of the faith that really took that basic kerygma of faith and expanded it into the the doctrines and the dogmas that we have today in the Catholic Church to really give us a proper understanding of who Jesus is and the mission of the church and uh, and particular things about the Trinity or the Eucharist or Mary, you know, so that we can have a a true understanding of what God has revealed to us in and through the person of, of his son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so last week we chatted, uh, had a fantastic uh, conversation about Irenaeus of Lyon. And uh, the next one that we're picking up the conversation with is uh, Cyprian. And, uh, and uh, so tell us a little bit about St. Cyprian. Who was he? Well, first of all, that name may sound familiar because he is included in the uh, Roman canon or Eucharistic prayer number one, or some people say the long one. Uh, <laughs> so when you see that, when, when, the, when the priest uses the option of saying all the names in the in the litany of the saints there, St. Cyprian is among them. Uh, he was an African bishop uh, from the third century, and he was the first bishop in Africa to be martyred. Oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah, the first the first bishop to be martyred. He was born in Carthage into a pagan family. Okay. Right? So <laughs> a family of non-believers. And uh let's just say he enjoyed himself uh as a youth. Okay. And converted to the Christian faith at the age of 35. And this this is important because we have so many people today, and I'm sure among our listeners who have children who are away from the church. And it is absolutely heartbreaking for them. Yeah. And, and we're just rest in the hope, you know, that it, God's ways are always better than our ways. And sometimes God needs to take our children or the people we love down a certain path in order to, to you know, the, the path may wind around a little bit. It's not the shortcut. It may be the long way around, but eventually they come around, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. and this was something that, uh, that St. Cyprian, in fact, he would write about it, not so much like uh, the famous one, of course, is St. Augustine, right? In his confessions where he talks about, you know, his child out of wedlock and all that kind of stuff yeah, and yeah. eventually coming to faith. But uh, St. Cyprian said, I used to regard it as extremely difficult and demanding to do what God's mercy was suggesting to me. And how true is that of so many people today? They find what the church teaches, especially when we're going up against this culture. You know, where everything in the culture seems to be antithetical to what we believe as Catholics and how hard it is to stand up to those truths. When somebody confronts you, you worship a piece of bread or you go to a man to have your sins forgiven or you worship Mary or, you know, uh, you, you, you hate people who are same sex attracted or transgendered and all these constant attacks against the church. And again, people are attacking because they don't understand. You know, um, they, they don't understand why we believe what we believe as Catholics. And he goes on to say, I, I myself was held in bonds by the innumerable errors of my previous life from which I did not believe I could possibly be delivered. He was living such a life of, of pleasure and gratification. He didn't care about coming to faith. He didn't think that it was important in his life. And so he says, so I was disposed to acquiesce in my clinging to vices and indulging my sins, right? Yeah. Again, not judging anyone, but there's so many 
uh, people that are in that same boat today. And more relativism. That may be true for you. That may be true for me. That's not your truth. That's not. Uh, that's my truth. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual or whatever form that that takes today. But we see that even the great saints struggle with what's going on uh, in, in the culture around them. You know, and that really, however, as you say, you know, sometimes God allows this to happen so that when he brings us back, it brings us also, I mean, we look to this, these great saints like Cyprian, like Augustine, we look at saints who, because of their conversion, they can speak in a way that is uh, where they understand the temptations of the world. So that makes them also pastorally aware in a way, perhaps, that if I was raised in a completely sheltered life, maybe I wouldn't be, I my audience, natural audience, would be a different audience than somebody like Cyprian or Augustine can speak to because they themselves know uh, the temptations of the world. Uh, that is, by the way, not to say that I don't know the temptations of the world. I was not raised, you know, in a in a um, in a vacuum like that in in any way. But I think that in some ways, also, then their conversion also represents, as you said, also great hope for those who love and and who see our own relatives and friends who are not living a life of faith, who are not, uh, you know, practicing. Uh, within the joy of of the Catholic faith, the signs of people like St. Cyprian, like St. Augustine, are hopeful signs for us, and they're also hopeful signs for those people who are outside yet, who, just as you were saying there, Cyprian's, a, you know, I, one might begin to despair that I couldn't be forgiven of my sins, that nobody could love me, and yet God does love you. Christ does love you. Christ calls you back, and Christ wants to heal you. That's what the Eucharist represents. That's what the faith represents is, is God's love. God reaches out to us. God takes the initiative to bring us back, and that's a great sign of hope. And so that's a message I already take from hearing Cyprian's story already, and I, I don't even know that much about him yet. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Well, after his conversion— it was, his conversion was so powerful, and so many people were, were were so moved that they were they became very attracted to the faith. And so the leaders of the church saw that, and so he was chosen to to study for the priesthood, and then became a bishop, <laughs> all within a very quick amount of time. Which that doesn't happen today, obviously. But back in the early church, uh, these things uh, happened fairly quickly. And uh, as it says in Second Samuel with uh with david um with, with nathan goes to david he says that you know after his transgressive Bathsheba said the the sword shall not depart from between your legs right so in other words e- even though god has forgiven this transgression you're still gonna have trials that you're gonna have to face and this was definitely something uh, uh that cyprian did he had two major persecutions um under De- uh, the emperor decius and then valerian after that after the, perse- the first persecution of Decius, um, many of the faithful gave up hope. You know, I said, "Why? Wait, why are we following this Jesus again? Why are we being persecuted and killed and and reviled? Like, why are we doing this again?" You know, <laughs> and so he so he had to really work with the folks to to remind them of who Jesus is in their life and help bring them back to faith, and and, and that kind of divided the community. You know, so there were a group of uh, what they call laxists, 
and a group of rigorists, right, with regard to these folks. Um, and so the, you know, the people who have fallen away, um, Cyprian was like a shepherd to bring the lost sheep back to the fold. But there were a group of extremists. There were some people saying, uh, I'll just let them go. It's no big deal. And, uh, and there was another group that's saying, no, we need to, they need to do like strict penance. You know, they got you know, to do all this stuff to come back to the church because they were apostate and all that kind of stuff. And then compounded on with all of that, while that was going on, there was a plague that was, uh, uh, and again, that raised questions in people's mind. Wait a minute, it's bad enough we're being persecuted, now we're being hit with this plague? What what kind of God of love would, would do that right, to us? Right. You know, so he really had a challenge um, to, to help uh, bring people back to their faith again. But again, Cyprian, uh, the, you know, the, the, the great bishop that he was, was up to the challenge, you know, and, and really... Um, help to to work to bring the church back together because if there was a constant theme for for Cyprian in his writing and in his um the the way he shepherded the people was unity was unity that mm-hmm. that was the if you will the hermeneutic or the interpretive key for understanding Cyprian was the was the issue of of unity um and that that was huge for him um even after he was arrested and martyred he he said don't fall apart you know, after I die, but use my death as a way of, of actually strengthening and building up the church. Um, so, yeah, he's a, a beautiful, beautiful man of God. Well, and uh, so he dies relatively young, doesn't he? I mean, he's not uh, terribly old. Yeah, he was. He, he only served as bishop for just a, just a few years before he was killed. Uh, but he, he was willing to die uh, for the faith, you know, and in his letters, again, he uh his, his favorite subject again was unity. So he made uh, he distinguished between the visible higher uh, uh, hierarchical church and the invisible mystical church uh, f- uh, founded by Christ. And, and but the one that brings both those together, the bridge, if you will, between the temporal and the transcendent, was Peter, right? What was the what, uh, and so he uh, uh, wrote a lot about this um, about Peter and the structure of the church and how. It's not a, like secular authority. You do do what I say or else. It's more, um, again, following our shepherd who's leading us where? Leading us to heaven, the divine pasture, you know, yeah. uh, life with God forever in heaven. Uh, and, and he was one of the ones, one of the first fathers of the church to teach that outside the church, there is no salvation. You know, and that this unity is founded on Peter and finds its perfect fulfillment in the Eucharist. Right. So all those things that bring us together is what he emphasized. Kind of a great witness to the, the sacraments and how th- we rely upon them for our salvation. Uh, I mean, uh, Cyprian, if, if I'm thinking correctly, he's uh, he's uh, witnessed, of course, to infant baptism and um, and how baptism was uh, something that regenerated our souls. It was not just not just symbolic, but it actually created an effectual regeneration. So when we think about the sacraments as being those, as being external actions or visible actions that represent an invisible reality, that's what he very much thought about baptism regenerating and washing truly, not just not just a symbol, but actually being effective for uh, creating a new within us. Um, and uh, so I think 
that's a powerful image, especially because, yeah, he dies in 258. And if you think about that, he's speaking about the Eucharist and baptism as being true things, not just symbols, that early on. Again, we receive the gift that is handed down to us, the, the apostolic truths that come down to us. Cyprian is a witness to those Again, in North Africa. So we're not just dealing here already. We're, we're already in Africa, Carthage. So this is not just Palestine. This is not just the area where Christ lived. But now the faith is already on its way out. When we think about preaching to the ends of the earth, Carthage is well on its way to the ends of the earth at that time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and to keep on that beautiful theme of unity, you know, he wrote a beautiful reflection on the Our Father. He says, you know, when we, we pray, we pray not for one, but for the whole people, because we, the whole people, are one. Again, that beautiful, he saw our Father as, again, a prayer of unity, a, a prayer of, of oneness, a, a prayer that, that unites us uh, to our Lord in, in, a, in a deep and, and, and personal way. Uh, he's, you know, and said, so when we're, we're praying to our Father, he goes, remember that we are, we are standing in God's sight. And God is, and I love this, God is the hearer, not the voice of the heart. God is the hearer, not of the voice, but of the heart. <laughs> I yeah. love that. So, you know, again, not it's not so much the vocal prayers, it's what's, what's in your heart. You know, and I love that. It's a beautiful reminder to me of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. You know, I want a loving heart more than sacrifice, knowledge of my ways more than Holocaust. And again, a beautiful, that, and that's what makes adoration so powerful. You know, God listens to our hearts during adoration. Right. You know, it's, it's being heart to heart with God. And, and, and that, that's something, and we need silence for that. You know, so uh, there's a lot of beautiful things that come together in Cyprian. Even though you go, he wrote, he wrote very early and died very young in his service to the church. Uh, he left us some beautiful things to reflect about that's uh, very pertinent in our own day today. I think about his feast day, the 16th of September. Of course, that's also the time of year when we remember, you know, what the 14th of September is the feast of the Holy Cross. You know, the 15th of September is the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. The 16th, Cyprian, who himself was, you know, suffered for the faith. And so it's just really kind of a triad of wonderful feasts right there together. What a, what a great uh, witness to hope, really, as well, Cyprian is. Yeah, he certainly is. And uh, and, and he, he emphasizes the heart as a privileged place for prayer, that God speaks to man and man listens to God, and man speaks to God, and God, in a sense, listens to man. Uh, all this happens through, through the divine word, through Jesus Christ. Again, the unifier uh, of the heart uh, and, and, and prayer of the conversation between us and God, and which goes with what St. Paul says. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Right. You know, so always focusing, centering on, uh, as Christ is the heart, the center of our life, and the heart and the center of our of our faith. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's, I'm glad that we're doing this because when, when people hear the names of the saints now during Mass, when they, when they hear that Roman canon, that name comes up, they're like, ah, so it's not just a name that I'm hearing about, um, amongst the list of these other names. I know something about this person now. You know, I, I know a little bit more about Cyprian. And I and, uh, I know what he sacrificed for the faith. I know how much he loved the Lord and wanted to bring people together. And that's something that we should be, I think, the big takeaway 
from him is the, is, is the unity. Unity in prayer. Unity is the people of God, especially now because there's so many things in our culture and, and, and quite frankly, even within our church that are trying to pull us apart. You know, because I think Satan is the is the is the the the, the um is the Lord of disunity, mm-hmm. of the is the Lord of disintegration. Yeah. You know, and there's so much of that going, there's so much fracturing going on in, in the church right now. And I think Cyprian could be uh, you know, a, a locus of unity, you know, because um, he, he reminds us unity in the church, unity in the Eucharist, unity in prayer. Uh, so I think those are three powerful images that we can definitely um, take into our culture today. So Cyprian's teaching is still alive in, in our hearts and in our lives and in our church today. That's fantastic. Why am I not surprised, by the way, that you, Deacon, latched on to a saint who speaks about listening with the heart? Because uh, if I remember right, this is like a core of your own kind of, I know your your company is named Ar- Aram Cordis, you know, the ear of the heart, listening with the heart. Uh, this, of course, comes from, we hear it later, the same idea in the rule of St. Benedict. I mean, so this is, uh, this doesn't surprise me that you, uh, that you're so joyful about this. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, adoration to me is, is uh, you know, that that's where I feel mostly like myself. You know, Janet Vinkovic asked me once on her show, um, when do I feel mostly like Deacon Harold? And, and I said, adoration. You know, that's where I feel like I'm the person that God created me to be. Because I, I just love the sounds. I embrace the sounds. I love the time I have by myself, you know, just to reflect on my connection with God. You know, um, and and I think St. Cyprian is, is one that, yes, we do that individually, but remember, we, we it's not a faith we keep to ourselves. It's something that needs to be shared. Right. Our stories need to be told. We need to not be afraid to be vulnerable, you know, um, uh, to open our hearts so that people can really see Jesus alive today through us. And, you know, I just, I, I, I was telling a group um, I was speaking to in um, Iowa uh, uh, earlier this, this, uh, uh, this year as a part of a parish mission uh, that, um, that don't be afraid to make yourselves wrong, to share the stories of your faith, because someone may meet Jesus for the first time when they meet you. And I think that's what Cyprian helps us to understand for our lives today. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, St. Cyprian, please pray for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, amen. What a joy. Well, we've reached the end of our time this evening together, Deacon, but uh, we will pick up our conversation next week with yet another one of the fathers of the church, one of the early teachers from whom we've received the gift of faith handed down through the centuries. Uh, But until we gather next week, we invite you to connect with us. You'll find us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. You can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing? Sure, may Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. 
That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.